Wow, has it been six months already since we last spoke, folks? What a whirlwind experience this has been. For any new listeners out there, my name is Matt Sapala and I am the host of this show. I'd take a step back from the podcast for the past six months just to shift my attention elsewhere. Amanda, who is my incredible business partner, and I have been grafting away for the past six months, setting up Melbourne's first plant-based butcher shop called The Kind Butcher. Both Amanda and I are passionate about plant-based living, and we aim to educate and inspire people to create sustainable lifestyle patterns through their nutrition choices. The fact is, you can get a plant-based meal anywhere, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, do we really know what it takes to design a wholesome, nutrient-dense, plant-based meal from scratch? Well, that's where we come in. Guys, if you haven't checked out our store on Union Road in Ascot Vale, please pop in and say good day and see what we've been working on for the past couple of months. We would be so stoked to see you. Lastly, a big shout out to everyone that has supported Amanda and I over the past six months and beyond. We couldn't have done it without you, so thank you so much. Amanda, a huge thank you to you. This wouldn't have flourished from an idea to what we have now if it wasn't for you. Well, in the past six months, I've grown an enormous amount. I've resumed my studies, which is a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in naturopathy. I've continued to promote happiness to people through the power of movement. And most of all, I've learned so much about myself along the way. And for people that have been following my podcast from the beginning, you would know that Buddy always comes along for the ride and joins in on our episodes. Well, to paint the picture for you now, he is almost fully grown. He's about 40 kilos. He can reach up to my shoulders, but he is still a little puppy at heart. And he's going to join us for the remainder of the journey. So stay tuned for constant updates from him, folks. Now, I'm so excited to finally be back podcasting. Connection is an area in my life which I'm most passionate about, and the podcast enables me to cultivate new relationships and connect with like-minded individuals who have an epic story to share. Well, I think you're pretty much up to speed, guys. That's enough from me. Over to this week's incredible podcast guests, and I'll catch you on the other side. Guys, this week's special guest is shedding light on an important topic that's gaining a lot of momentum nowadays, and that's the conversation around mental health. Damien Murdoch is a passionate person who aims to help people along their mental health journey and does this through his company, World Class Friend. Damien has an incredible story and is extremely vulnerable during today's episode when he paints a graphic picture of what it's like for him when he was experiencing panic attacks. Now, Damien went from having severe anxiety around public speaking to then hosting a stand-up comedy night, and I was absolutely blown away by the process and his journey for the years between those two events. I guess it's important to also recognize, guys, if you're finding yourself in a dark place and just need someone to talk to, I'll have some links in the show notes for some hotlines such as Beyond Blue and Lifeline. They're amazing resources that should be utilized if needed. Now that's all from me folks, I'll hand it over to Damien to share your incredible story. Damien Murdoch, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast, mate. G'day Matt, how's things? Yeah, going good. You're joining us all the way from sunny Noosa at the moment, living the dream over there, aren't you? Yeah, it's pretty nice up here. Pretty happy with it. Now Damien, you're doing great things in the mental health awareness space and I'm super pumped to get into the podcast and and share your journey with my listeners because I think you have a great story to tell and, and the things you say will definitely resonate with, with the community. But before we get into all that, mate, let's talk about what your life like, what life was like for you growing up. Okay, so I grew up on a dairy farm in a place called Xeros, which is just outside of Shepparton, um, which is two hours north of Melbourne. Um, so I grew up, I was one of seven kids, so, um, very strict Catholic family, front row of church every week. And yeah, basically, yeah, as a kid, I just loved sport. That's all I really cared about. So, you know, AFL, cricket, bit of tennis, um, horse racing fanatic. Yeah, I was really into the horses when I was a kid. But um, yeah, everything revolved around sport, really. Yeah, definitely. Movement is always uh, the centre of attention when you're a kid. When, you, when you've got no worries, you just pick up a ball and start kicking it. Who do you follow in the footy, Damien? 
Uh, the pies. The pies, mate. Hopefully you um you get up this week and play in the big dance. <laughs> that'd be nice. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about what school life was like for you, Damien. What did you did you know what you wanted to do straight into school or, or talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, well, at primary school, I went to a, a really small primary school. So it was like, you know, 30 to 40 kids. And um, yeah, I wanted to be a journalist at that stage as a primary school kid. But then I went to, I went into uh, Notre Dame, which is a school in Shepparton, uh, which is, you know, quite a big school. I didn't know anyone when I went there and just sort of, yeah, it was a bit tougher there. I wasn't, you know, like a you know, in a small school, you're sort of king of the jungle a bit. So it was a bit different going into into a bigger school. But um, yeah, I love school. I really, really enjoyed, you know, just making friends and hanging out with people. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's evident in your self-education background as we go later into the podcast, mate. Just for the listeners that are overseas, can you paint the picture of what Shepparton is like and whereabouts whereabouts it's located in Australia? Okay, so it's two hours north of Melbourne. So if you drive from Melbourne up to Brisbane, you go through Shepparton. It's a town of about it's sort of 35,000 people, but there's in the greater Shepparton area, you know, a couple of towns that are sort of joined on. It's about, you know, 55,000 people. And it's a farming community. Um, it's SPC, a lot of people might have heard of, um, Shepparton Preserving Company. Uh, so that's, you know, that's all fruit. So it's a lot of fruit, a lot of dairy. A lot of dairy as well. Yeah, fantastic, Matt. And I guess everyone knows everyone, doesn't they? Don't they? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit like that. You sort of yeah, if you grow up around the same age group, you you won't necessarily know them, but you you know who they are type things. So. And how do you think that close knit community aspect played a role in your upbringing and your you know your childhood? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I loved the. I still. Yeah, I'm really proud of where I come from. So, yeah, I just sort of noticed last year, like when I meet someone, people know I'm from Shepparton within a couple of minutes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but I'm just really, I'm really proud of where I come from. And just, uh, yeah, I always ask people where they're from. And yeah, it always comes out pretty quick that I'm from Shep. Yeah, definitely, mate. And a good mate of mine, Dale, actually connected us together and he's from Shep as well. So I'm not surprised that you two guys know each other. Yeah, I know all the Saudi boys. <laughs> love it, mate. Love it. Now, um, Damien, I know listening to your journey, especially with the podcast that you did with Dale a couple of weeks back, you you know, you had a quite extraordinary journey. And, and you know, I want to get into that, particularly with your catalyst for change and your journey into mental health. So for the listeners at home, Damien, can you paint the picture of, you know, what life was like for you when you were thriving and then, you know, talk to us a little bit about how the your mental health journey affected that and then your catalyst for change? Okay, so, yeah, I was, I was a really confident kid up to about the age of 14, I suppose. And, yeah, then just some normal teenage things happen. I, I think every teenager goes through, you know, some some difficulties, you know. And for, for mine, it was just a simple thing like um, rejection from by a couple of kids, which set off this chain of events, you know, where... Yeah, I sort of lost confidence and uh, I sort of lost my social status, I suppose, in that um, in that year. And so, what happened with me is I, at the end of year nine, I, I sort of I was going into year ten. I, I made a decision in my mind that I was going to regain my social status. So, and to do that, I wasn't going to say anything unless I knew that it was going to be a winner. So, that's um, yeah, what that does over time is just sets up this constant dialogue in your in your head that um you know you're judging everything that goes through your mind and um and what i can see now is that over time that led to my anxiety yeah definitely man it's almost like a constant battle within yourself being cautious of every word that comes out of your mouth and you know anticipating how another person's going to perceive what you're saying exactly and i said yeah what I set up, I, I tended to be really harsh. That self-talk was really harsh on myself. And over time, that just, you know, that led to depression and, yeah, and the anxiety that was um, so much a problem later on. Awesome, Damien. And, you know, talk to us a little bit about the things that you were saying to yourself in that period of time, if you can recall. What sort of negative words were you saying to yourself um, in the moment? Paint the picture for the listeners at home. 
Yeah, I suppose it was, you know, like I, I, I became fairly quiet because I'd always been a really outgoing kid and I sort of went back into Michelle. Like I remember a couple of uh, girls coming up to me and saying, what's wrong with you? You know, you used to be such, you used to be so happy and you're not anymore. And yeah, I didn't sort of realise it at that stage that um, other people would be able to notice, I suppose. And then I suppose then when, when I'm trying to not say anything until, unless it's going to be a winner, when you, when you do say something and it doesn't quite hit the mark, then I would just be really harsh on myself. It's, you know, like, what, what did you say that for? You know, that stupid thing to say, you know, that sort of thing. And it was just, yeah, yeah it's pretty, um, it's pretty, yeah, it's not an ideal thing for a kid to set up in their head, I would think. So. No, definitely not. And that can spiral into, into you know, bigger things down the track, which you're going to go into in a second for us, Damien. But, you know, hearing bullying and, and hearing those negative things is is very prevalent and in amongst teenagers in high school. But when it's coming from yourself, it's almost different, isn't it? And, and it almost, you know, you almost accept it to be okay. Well, when you're that, you don't really know what you're doing. You're just, you're just trying to make your way in the world, I suppose. So you just... Um yeah, it's not like you think whether that's going to be good for you or not. It's just what you're what you're doing. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And what was the you know the turning point for you where you realised, wow, you know this is this is playing a big role for me, and and it's really detrimental to what I'm doing. How can I change? Well, I didn't really realise it until I started doing personal development in my thirties. Really, I didn't really realise where that had where all those problems had sort of come from and you sort of track it back and sort of come to these realizations about the way that you'd, um, about all the things that had happened because as it played out, you know, I did actually, I felt like I did regain my social status type thing. Like I I lived a, you know, from the age of 16 type thing, I lived a, a great life. And, but what, what I did though was I, my break from that constant, dialogue was to to drink so you know when when i was drunk none of none of that went on it was just you know that's where i found peace really um because I, I wasn't making those constant you know, i wasn't continually checking everything that came through my head it was just i was just being you know when when i was drunk so that's um yeah so then alcohol played a, a pretty big part of my life you know like a yeah i loved to drink when i was a young person and that's yeah that's the big part of it i think yeah, definitely. And you, you know, like you almost let the shackles go and, and like when you're inhibited by alcohol, you, you just talk freely. And, and was exactly. that like a sense of relief for you? And talk to us about the, you know, the emotions that were going through your head when you were dealing with, with, um, with that. When I was drinking, you mean? Or Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose there wasn't a lot going through my head and that's, that's what I love so much about it. You know, it was just, and I think, I think that that might be, uh, something that a lot of people go through, you know, when they when they actually drink alcohol, they get a break from that voice in their head. So, and I think that's uh, I think that's what happened with me. And it was just, you know, I just had a lot of fun um, in those times. So it was just, uh, yeah, it was just uh, something I love to do. Yeah, definitely, Damien. So, you know, you mentioned that you were not battling, but you were sort of masking the um, the mental illness through throughout your whole life until you got to your thirties, what sort of, what sort of ways was it reappearing in your life throughout those years? And how did you, you know, put it to the side and, and sort of neglect it for lack of a better term? Well, I went through stages. So my life, yeah, I'll sort of look at, at it as a bit of a roller coaster. So there was times where I was just, you know, happy all the time. And then there was other times where I was, you know, where I was in depression, like for probably years on end, but, um, and yeah, there was a lot of times where I was, I'd be happy for two weeks and then I'd be down for a week and then happy two weeks down for a week, that sort of thing. So it was just this, um, it was a bit of a roller coaster. So I had really good times and then I had times where, where yeah, I'd go into this, this deep depression. And um, I started to, I suppose the, the, the first really deep depression when, was when I was about 20. That's when, um, yeah, that's when. Yeah, the first time I talked to someone about um, about wanting, you know, wanting to to end it type thing. But um, yeah, so then yeah, I came back from that. I went overseas when I was in my mid twenties, which was a really good thing for me. Um, and then 
I came back from there just feeling a bit invincible, really, just thinking I could do anything. And I, I opened a business in Shepparton. And then, you know, the first few years of that were really good. But then, um, yeah, it all sort of started to fall apart and I started to get these, um, you know, these panic attacks and this severe anxiety. And that was, uh, that was sort of the, the, the lowest point, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, man. Thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable there, Damien. And what did those panic attacks look like for you? You know, obviously, it's hard enough running a business and, you know, trying to be in control of that in its up and coming stages, let alone doing that while you're having panic attacks. Talk to us a little bit about those experiences. Well, the first, the first panic, panic attacks I ever got was in when I was living in London. And I was working at a at an international shipping company actually in sales and I was at the as at a sales meeting and I just had to do it like a really short presentation and it was just coming around the circle and it was coming to my turn and it started like my heart started to beat out of my chest and you know the room all changed and it just something just came over me and I I got up and um, rushed from the room and yeah, the way that that played out, I'd made a decision then that I that I was no good at public speaking and that I wouldn't speak in public anymore. So when I came back and I opened the business basically because I couldn't, I part of part of the reason was that I couldn't do job interviews um, because yeah, I'd get this anxiety around public speaking. So that was sort of I had the anxiety around public speaking, and that played out. You know, I had a. Um, I opened a bar and I used to have to go to liquor licensing meetings, for example, and, you know, I'd just have these. All I had to do was say my name and where I was from and even doing that, like, I'd get this panic reaction or my heart would start beating and um, I couldn't get sort of words out. So, you know, I'd often just excuse myself from the room when they were doing that part of it and just come back in a bit later. Um, so I had this public speaking fear and, you know, so I knocked back to emceeing weddings or, um, speaking to schools or whatever I was asked to do. And that I just got by, like I sort of hid that, that fear, but then it, it got to a point where I started to get these sort of panic attacks, panic reactions when, you know, just ordering lunch or something like that. And it just got worse and worse. And it, then it got to the stage where yeah, I just couldn't, yeah, I couldn't leave the house and then I couldn't leave the bedroom. It just got really, it just sort of my comfort zone or what was, you know, what was comfortable for me, what I could do, just sort of, my world sort of closed in on me and it just, yeah, there was just this, um, it got to this point, that there was this two or three week period where, yeah, I was just basically confined to my, my bedroom. I just really found it difficult to, to go out even when I, I thought I felt all right. I'd go to go out and my heart would just start beating and it, it would, I'd get this this reaction and it was, um, yeah, and it was, I just didn't know what to do about it. I was just totally confused and, um, yeah, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a, it's a torturous thing to go through when, you, when you're going through that and it's just so confusing. You just don't understand what's going on and, yeah, I just had no idea what to do about it. Yeah, definitely, man. And anxiety is such a hard thing to try and verbalise because it comes up differently at different people. For you, it came up in the public speaking aspect. And then did you ever, at that point in time, did you ever link it back to the negative, you know, words that you were saying to yourself and when you stopped talking unless it was something good? Did you ever think that that played a role in the further development of the public speaking anxiety back in your younger days? Not at all. I had no idea. Like, I'd... I basically didn't even know that self-talk was a thing. I didn't really think you had these voices in your head. I just thought that was that was normal. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, just, definitely. You know, all these concepts were just totally foreign to me. You know what I mean? I was just um, just totally confused by what was going on. I just wanted it to stop, really. And I think a lot of people don't actually connect to realise how powerful, you know, the voice inside your head can be. It's It's you know, that positive affirmation and, and if you're putting negative affirmations into your into your daily routine, you know, it's breeding ground for for whatever you're you're saying to yourself. Or if you're saying positive things, you know, it's breeding ground for positive things and vice versa with the negative aspect. Now, what was the catalyst for change for you, Damien? When did you realise that, you know, I'm gonna go step up and I'm gonna, you know, make a change? 
I suppose the the first uh, there's been a heap of different things over the years, but the first time where I really thought I've got to change things here was when in that really tough two or three week period that I talked about before. I was I went out for the day and um, and during that time I'm, there was I had two mates driving around looking for me and they they couldn't reach me on the phone and. Um, to see them when they finally found me that day, that that to see the relief on their face because they they thought that there's a good chance I'd done something stupid, as as we say, and just seeing their reaction and even though I, I actually was um, I was in a, da- a dangerous uh, frame of mind, I suppose at, at the time, but at the at the same time, I never really expected anyone else to to notice that or. I don't know, be alarmed by it or something. And just to see their reaction, that's when I sort of thought I've got to do something about this, you know. So that's when I, um, yeah, I took a break from work and just went for, you know, went for a road trip and just tried to clear my head a bit. Yeah, definitely, man. And I, I guess a common a common part of anxiety and depression and all mental illness is, you know, you feel like you're going through it alone and, and you're not. You've got other people there. Other people notice. Other people are there to support. So I guess that's a really important thing to highlight in in this podcast. That if you are feeling isolated and alone, just you know to go seek help. And, and there are hotlines out there. There's people that are that are trained to do this, and, and they're going to help you through this this time. And I'll have all those links for those um, those contacts in the show notes for anyone that are, is experiencing those types of of feelings. Yeah, and I suppose when I look back at that time, I didn't really want any drama. I just didn't want to be here anymore, you know what I mean? I just wanted to sort of step step away or disappear or something, you know? So it was... Um, but when, when you actually see the effect you're having on other people, that's when you sort of just go, look, I've got no choice here but to really, really try to work on this and do something, do something about it. And I'd been seeing psychologists and so on, um, but, yeah, nothing had, had really stuck at that stage you know nothing had really made a difference at that point yeah definitely man and and what was next after that you know that awakening moment when you realized that the, your your frame of mind is impacting other people too well i suppose i was still just confused about what to do about it so you know i went for that road trip up the the coast and you know i chatted to some friends and i just tried to clear my head and i felt a bit better but then i came back um, and still into the same job and I still just wasn't, wasn't okay. So I, I moved to Perth and, you know, I had my, my brother and a couple of mates over there and I just got a, I got a job as a landscape gardener for um, a big landscape gardening firm and basically I was still having these, uh, these panic attacks. So my goal over there was just to basically turn up for a job where no one knew me and um, just... Try not to be, try not to be a weirdo. So you know, still try to. By that I mean, you know, when you're like when you're having these panic reactions, you're just you're finding it hard to even say, say hello to people in the morning. So when you when you're like that, you just you just feel like a complete weirdo, you know. Like and um, so my job was just to try to turn up every day and just try to have conversations and a sort of um, over the course of you know four or five six months, I'd. I got, I got better and better at that. Um, and then I got offered a job. A mate offered me a job as a bar manager back in Melbourne and I felt ready to do that. So that was another step. And again, I had good days and bad days there, but um, yeah, I got better again. And then I went back to Shepparton and just got my business right to sell. And that was, that was quite a difficult little period. Um, but yeah, I got, got through it and then, the day after my business sold, I moved to Queensland. There you and, go. Uh, what's that? Sorry, I was just saying. There you go, mate. Go on. Sorry to interrupt you, David. Yeah, so I was. Yeah, so I moved to Queensland, and yeah, I just had to had to get healthier, basically. So I, yeah, I just went on this um, personal development I know, journey, or whatever you want to call it. I went to uni. Um, studied a Bachelor of Health Science for two and a half years, just learning about the body, how it operates. And while I was doing that, I 
yeah, I started to do personal development courses and you know, learn a bit of mindset stuff and that sort of thing. And uh, a big a big thing for me was when I was at uni, I dropped out of the subject because um, I found out I had to do an oral presentation. I just wasn't capable of doing that at that time. And the, the lecturer that I had in that subject, um, yeah, I got chatting to her and she she had a like a side practice doing NLP and I didn't know what that was at the time, but I went to see her and she did NLP on me and, and I was amazed by that, you know, by the the difference that made and, and what I learned about myself from seeing her um, was it was just it, I, I just found it incredible and I knew that that's what I wanted to do um, from that point on. So I, yeah, I ended up going down that route. I went down the, the, the mindset route, learned NLP and hypnosis and all these other um, mindset sort of uh, tools. And um, yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the path that, that I went down. And then I just did, I just did a heap of different heap of different things that were right outside the box um and just yeah that's where i found all you know the the answers basically that's that's allowed me to to come back from where i was yeah incredible damien and and at that point in time when you you know you went down the hypnosis route did you start to realize how important that your mindset and your positive self-talk played and the role that it played in in your life yeah, totally. So some of the realizations that you have when you're doing these this sort of um, therapy and these sort of courses is that you you get to see, you know, you take your mind back to the first time that you ever felt that, and yeah, it takes you, you know, it takes you straight to a, a situation as a teenager that you you know you may have forgotten about, and you just go, oh yeah, that's I forgot that it, that even happened, but you just see that the the way that you interpreted that situation has led that started off this chain reaction of events that's led to where you are. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, mate. Hit the nail on the head. And, you know, after you had this realisation about the, the positive mindset, what sort of things were you saying to yourself in your head and how were they different to back in your younger days where you were, you know, filling your head with negative, negative thoughts? Well, it's, I mean, I was just really harsh on myself. I was never, I was never really, I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist, I suppose. And so, yeah, just anything short of perfection just wasn't sort of good enough. So, and over time, what, what you're doing with your self-talk is you're actually programming your body. I've come to realise that over time. So if you're saying that I, I'm not a public speaker, I don't, you know, I'm no good at it, whatever, you're, you're programming your body to recognise that as a danger um, so your body's basically just because all your brain wants to do is keep you safe. That's its number one job. So it's just continually scanning um, your environment or whatever, whatever you're hearing or seeing or whatever it is, looking for danger. And by talking to yourself like that about public speaking, you're, you're basically teaching your brain and your body that that's a danger. And so when someone mentions it or um, you know, heaven forbid asks you to stand up and speak your body just goes, this is a dangerous situation and it flips over into the sympathetic nervous system, which is, you know, everyone knows as fight or flight and it produces chemicals to get you ready to, you know, either fight or, or run. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's basically how it plays out. And so your, your self-talk, what you're saying to yourself over time is actually teaching your body what to recognise as a danger. Yeah, wow, mate. That's actually so incredible but on a chemical level, the role that, you know, even words to yourself play in, in your whole life. And I read something the other day. It was never joke. It was never, oh, I can't remember the exact words, but it was never talk negative about yourself, even if it's just a joke because your, your mind can't tell the difference. Have you heard yeah. that? Yeah, I have heard that. I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm all for joking. Like, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that. But you've got to, the, the, the way that I, the line I use is the most important words that you'll ever hear are the words you say to yourself and believe. So if you, if you say that to yourself and you, and you believe it, that's, 
you're programming your body with that. You're, you're basically saying this is how it is and then your body's just continually reacting to that. So if you're, if you're talking yourself down, um, your body just takes that as that's you are down. That's, you know, that's who you are. And so any, yeah, anything, it, it's just sort of basically using that to navigate the world as you go forward. Yep, certainly, Matt. And, you know, do you have any tips for the listeners at home on how to be more positive in their self-talk or, or where to start on, you know, taking control of their, their mental battle? Yeah, well, there's six questions that I've set up that I used over over time and it's just when when something happens, when, um, you know, and I notice my self-talk, I... Yeah, we're continually, you know, they say like humans are meaning-making creatures. Like we're continually, like every moment of every day, we're, we're putting meaning on things. So the, the way that I question that, that self-talk or the meaning you're putting on things is, is with a series of questions, which I call meaning questions. So the first one is, does it really mean that? So an example that I, that I use is public speaking. So... You know, and one of the one of the the things I used to do is put meaning on every face in the crowd. You know, I was continually scanning to see what reaction I was getting from people as I spoke. And you know, people have all sorts of different expressions on their face while you're while you're speaking in public. And a lot of them don't mean what you think what you think they mean. So some people have got their face screwed up and that means they're really interested. Whereas the way I used to read it was that they think I'm, they think I'm an idiot, you know. So, what I learnt is that if I say, "Does it really mean that?" You know, does it really mean that he thinks I'm an idiot? And the answer is, you know, perhaps not. You know, it could be it could mean anything. So the second question is, could it be anything else? And there's usually a hundred other things that it could be. Not the it doesn't. It's not always that original meaning that you put on putting on things. The third question is, what am I deciding in order to feel this way? So if you're starting to feel anxious or starting to feel fear, what are you deciding about this situation that's enabling you to, that's making you feel that way? Because, and that's a really important question because the answer to that will bring out the, the belief that you have about that situation, which is why you, you got triggered, your, your anxiety got triggered in the first place or your anger or whatever it might be. Does that make sense? Will I explain that okay? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a great little bit of advice and, and they're just hidden gems that people can adapt to their lifestyle in a practical setting, mate. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and then there's the, the other questions. Are, am I going to believe that thought or will I choose something else? Because a thought's just an idea, like your brain throws at you, but you can actually choose, choose another thought. And then the, the last two questions are basically, what, what do I want instead? And is there any specific action I can take so you're basically just going back into action so you've taken something from a negative that leads to a negative result and you've just turned the course um, of that chain of events to the positive so you're actually taking a specific action towards what you want incredible damien and when do you recommend that people people do this and how do they ask themselves those questions do they journal it down right on a piece of paper when do they do it when they're experiencing a panic attack? Talk to us a little bit about the, the practical process of that. One example where I, I started to carry around in my pocket, I carried it for about 12 months and like I went through a few of them, but I had just like a little card and I had on one side of the card, I had the, what I call the Trinity of, of emotional state control. So it's basically how to take charge of your emotional state in any situation. And, one example of when I used this was, um, I think it was a job interview or something like that, and I was in the car out the front and I started to feel the panic reactions come on. Uh, and what, what used to happen for me is when, when I felt those, um, those anxiety symptoms come on, I'd forget what I'd, all, everything that, I, that I'd learned. So that's why I started to carry the card around because what happens when you, when you switch into that fight or flight response, the part of your brain that's responsible for thinking, that's, that basically shuts down and you go to the primitive part of the brain, which is all about fight or flight. So you actually can't, your memory's not there. So 
yeah, I'd, I'd find that I'd get into these situations and I knew what to, I'd learned what to do, but I couldn't remember it in the moment. So that's where I started to carry this card. And on one side, it had the the three ways to, it's a, it's a triangle, and it's the three ways to take charge of your emotional state. And on the back, I would have these meaning questions, right? And I'd just go through them and, I, and I'd put all that into practice and then I, I was able to go in and face, you know, get out of the car and go in and face what I'd wouldn't have used to have been able to face so that was that was a really important thing and i've actually got that that card that i used to carry i've done that up on um in business card size on P- pvc and I, I send that out to people as a tool that they can carry around in their wallet or purse or whatever it might be and just to get them through those moments yeah i think that's a, such a great little pocket uh, thing to have handy in your pocket um, especially yeah, I call it peace in my pocket. That's what I call it actually. <laughs> I love it, mate. And you know, that can definitely help people get through those difficult situations and gain the confidence to get out and go through with it. Now, Damien, after you, you know, you were experiencing these anxieties towards your public speaking, when did you how did you confront those anxieties head on and what did you do to make that change? Yeah, I'll just continually Continually just pushed outside my comfort zone. So I learned all this this mindset stuff and then I just found ways to just to keep challenging myself because basically you, you, what you're trying to do is um, just, just keep pushing outside your comfort zone to actually gradually get the message to your body that this is safe. And so your body stops having these reactions over time. So I did all sorts of things. So... You know, I used to go to personal development courses and my, my goal would be, you know, just to to get up in front of people and admit to this fear of public speaking and just, you know, confront it head on. But I'd just keep going home and it just hadn't happened. I hadn't been able to find the courage in that in that moment. But I, I went one day and I went to, it was a really big, there was a thousand plus people at the Brisbane Convention Centre. And that morning they'd been... The, the guy had given this talk on courage and it really hit home to me. And so that, that day when the, the, next, the next segment was basically about fear and so they asked for volunteers from the crowd and on that day I just I went for it. I stood up and you know, threw my arm at him and just made him pick me and I got up in front of a thousand people and admitted to this fear of public speaking. And then I ended up on stage that day and um, had to do a little talk in front of a thousand people and it was just that was a major a major thing for me because it, it i got out of my comfort zone and even though when i was up on stage i had some moments where i went totally blank but i got through that and ended up by the end of it you know they couldn't get the microphone off me type thing so i realized <laughs> that i that you know, i could do it and so, so that was a big thing and then from there i went on to do a public speaking course and um, you know, I've done a few public speaking courses and I, I do Toastmasters as well because Toastmasters is something, um, it's only small groups, but um, every second week, you know, every second Monday I'd have to turn up and stand in, in front of people and it's just that they're very good at just easing you out of your comfort zone and just so you, you just get better. You know, you start off doing like a 20-second talk, then it's two minutes and then you, you build up and um, so... Yeah, Toastmasters is very good at that um, that model of just slowly getting you out, you know, increasing the size of your comfort zone, basically. So, so I did a lot of that. I did public speaking courses. Um, one, the, the the most important thing in the end, or not the most important, but the the biggest thing, which that was like my grand final, was a, a comedy course. So, I had a really intense fear of public speaking, as I've said, and so I'd done all these, you know, I'd done public speaking courses and I'd learned all this mindset stuff and I'd started to teach people. I started to have it as a part-time job teaching people these tools. And, yeah, the idea of the, the, idea of the comedy uh, gig, I saw it on a poster and, yeah, I, I saw it, as soon as I saw it, I knew that's what I had to do. But, yeah, I sort of fought with it, tried to talk myself out of it for months until in the end it was like, no, I've got to, I've got to do this. It was gnawing at me too much because that's, you know, to walk your talk, you had to, you know, I had to 
to pick something that would force me to use all these tools and um, and show that they work almost, you know. So that's that's what I did. I did, did a six-week comedy course and then a gig in front of 220 people. And another great thing about that comedy course was that the first thing you do when you teach comedy, the first thing as a comedian is you write a list of all the things that are weird or funny about you and then you make comedy from that. And so it sort of just teaches you how to take the piss out of yourself rather than taking yourself so seriously. And you also, you know, the other people in that course, they're all doing the same things. And so you you just sort of realise everyone's got their weird, funny little things and that's just what makes us all different and what's makes, what makes us, you know, unique. So it's not something that you need to try to hide, which is what I think a lot of us are doing and, and what um, we get anxious about. So it's um so that was a really you know it's just making light of those things that in the past you've probably been trying to hide or um or you you know caused you to think that you weren't good enough or that, that you're a bit weird or whatever it might be. So that was a really that was an important thing as far as the the comedy course and then the actual night where we gave the gig that was like that was that was like my grand final you know everything else over the years beforehand had been building up to that and. Everything that I've learnt, I used on that gig, um, and yeah, and it all worked. It all went really well. And when that sort of thing happens, when you you bust out of your comfort zone and achieve something that you didn't think was sort of possible, then your comfort zone just becomes so much bigger. And other all these other things that you sort of dreamed about doing, um, yeah, that sort of becomes possible all of a sudden. Yeah, that's incredible, man. I'm, I've absolutely loved hearing your journey from the person who was struggling to even order food at a restaurant to now, you know, standing up in front of thousands of people and, and giving a comedy show. It's incredible, your journey, mate. You should be um, wrapped and, and you're a true testament to yourself. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been fun, the whole the whole journey. Well, a lot of it hasn't been fun at the time, but, you know, when you're getting outside your comfort zone, it's, it does take a bit of, bit of courage and that's where you need that support. But I think it's important to, to, to say that even now, every time I'm doing something like that, I still have the thoughts. You know, you still, your brain, your brain still provides all the things that can go wrong and basically asks you not to do it. You know what I mean? So, because that's a, your brain's job. It's trying to keep you safe. And that's safe from physical harm and it's safe from um, rejection as well. Because if you think about it, like that, that part of your brain is very, it's, it's very primal. And so if you go back to when we're in tribes, if you got rejected from the tribe, it, it meant almost certain death. And so that part of our brain is just trying to stop us being rejected. So I think when you, when you realise that, you can actually just not take these thoughts that you're having so seriously. Because when you, you can sort of laugh at them, Almost, it's like your brain's just providing everything that can go wrong, but you don't have to listen to that. And so that's when you realise that, you just go, okay, that's what my brain's doing, but I need to, what do I need to do? And that's, you know, get back to focusing on what you want and then what you can control in, you know, who you're stepping up as to to achieve that. Yeah, definitely, Damien. And I guess with all, you know, mental illness, it's, it's not a one and done situation. It's a constant practice to make sure that, you know, you're, you're doing those things that get you in the right position to be, or the right frame of mind to be able to, you know, complete your everyday tasks. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. And I, th- I don't know whether that's the case for everybody, but with myself, I know that I, I compare it to physical fitness. So you can get yourself as fit as you like, but if you just stop doing everything, then a month down the track, your body starts to, to fall apart again, right? And it's the same thing happens to, to me with my mind. It's just there's things that I do that, um, keep, that keep my mental health good. And if I get lazy on, on those, I'll get a reminder. Yeah, definitely, so, mate. For me, it's just the same as your physical body. It's just but um, at, at this stage, I don't think as a society or whatever, we don't really look at it in the same way. We, we, we understand that with physical, physical fitness, but we don't, we're not prepared to put the same amount of time or effort into our mental, mental health. And 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty important. Definitely. And I think the great thing is it's gaining a lot of momentum and conversations are starting to flourish about mental health and it's starting to, to become the norm and not, you know, weird to be able to talk to, talk to people about this. So I love the way that it's moving forward. And I think, you know, we can, we're going a long way into changing the stigma and changing the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely gaining momentum, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, mate. Now, you know, I love what you're doing at World Class Friend. For the listeners at home that may not know, what, what is World Class Friend and what are you doing here, mate? Okay, so World Class Friend is a, an organisation I've, I've set up. And, yeah, it's basically everything that I do is aimed at the person that was, you know, stuck in that bedroom all those years ago. So it was just, I was just, at that time, I was just very confused. I just wanted this anxiety and panic attacks to stop but I just had no idea what was going on in my mind and body I, I, yeah just totally confused and I just um what I'm trying to do is just teach people you know what is going on in your mind and body to give you these anxiety symptoms and then provide a path out of that so it's like a a program that you can follow to to go from you know where you are now to where you want you want to be no, I think that path is really important because um, my experience with the mental health system was going to psychologists, but there was no real program. And I'm not sure whether this is the same for everyone, but there was no real program put in place. You, you know, you get your 10 sessions. But for me personally, like I'd, I'd go to some of those sessions and we'd just talk about what had happened that week and you know, then, then you walk out of there and just go, well, we didn't even talk about my anxiety and that's what I, that's what I need to, to get, um, to get some, you know, some uh, movement on. So I, I believe that um, you sort of need a path or, you know, a lot of people anyway need a path and they need to know where they are on that path basically because I think when you, what happens a lot is that, you know, you watch a a YouTube clip or, you know, you've got anxiety, you Google it, you watch a YouTube clip or whatever it might be and it might be on breathing and so you try that, you try breathing and then that didn't work. So you say, oh, breathing didn't work and so you shelve that and you try something else. Whereas the way I look at it, the breathing is a really important part of overcoming anxiety and panic but it's a piece of the puzzle rather than the solution. So... The way that I've tried to design it is that breathing fits into a program. So it's like it's a piece of the puzzle. And when you do that, you'll understand why it's important, but what else you need to do around breathing to to get the result, you know, to get the final solution. So it's just that, you know, I'm just trying to teach like a, a, a program that will take you from A, a to B and just teach all those pieces of the puzzle and how they all fit together. Because I don't think there's any one um, magic wand for this anxiety or panic. I think you need, it's, it's an approach that needs um, a lot of different tools to actually get to, to change this programming in your body that's, that's throwing up these symptoms. Yeah, I could not agree more with you there, mate. And everyone's on their own journey and everyone takes different approaches and needs different guidance. So I absolutely love how you're, you know, being a, a coach in there on their journey, um, for lack of a better term, mate. So really great job. Now, where can people find some more information about World Class Friend and, and if they've resonated with anything you've said, um, where can they find out how to get in contact with you? Okay, the website is worldclassfriend.com. Now, on that website, you'll there's a, there's a free course, so it's a series of videos, and um, you can put your name down there and we'll send those to your inbox, and that'll take you through that path that'll outline that path that I was just talking about. So that's, um, that's available for free on our website. So you can grab that from worldclassfriend.com. I've got a Facebook page called taking charge of anxiety. Um, so give that a like, and I'm just um, going to share a lot of information on there and just try to, yeah, just try to provide that same sort of path as well. Um, and then my email address, I'd love to hear from anyone um, that's, that's having any trouble. Um, my Email address is doc, so it's D-O-C, at worldclassfriend.com. Excellent, mate. And I'll have those details for you guys in the show notes for you. 
Now, Damien, coming to the end of the podcast, mate, I'm keen to see what you would say to younger Damien who, you know, who wasn't speaking back in his teenage years and would only speak when he had a winner. What would you say to him now, having all your life experience and, and all your, you know, all the knowledge behind you? Yeah, I think the first thing would be that what actually happened to me with those, the two guys that I'm talking about that, that rejected me, that's just a normal part of life, but it's, it's actually the, the meaning I put on it that was so uh, devastating to me um, that created the problems later on. So I suppose that's the, you know, a kid that age, I, I think I'd just be looking to, to watch what meaning they're putting on the events as they, as of, of their day, you know, so just be, talking to talking to kids and finding out what's happened during the day and th- there's going to be some stuff you know there's there's going to be bullies there's going to be all sorts of things happen as a teenager but yeah it's just watching that meaning that they're putting on that event because it's when you look back now it, it's really insignificant you know with the experience you've got now what happened there it's really insignificant and it it didn't really mean what it didn't mean anything in the course of things you know so um but when you're that age, it's just really confusing and it's really, yeah, and it, it, yeah, it sort of, I suppose, devastates you at, at times. Yeah, definitely, mate. And, you know, uh, I guess in hindsight, it's a, it's a great thing to be able to look back and say what you would have done, but you, you dealt with the situation with the best resources or, or the best knowledge you had at the time. And, and, you know, your journey's been incredible thus far, mate, and I know you're you're going to be up to amazing things in the future. On that note, do you have any any big goals for the future, mate? What does um what does life like for Damien? What does life look like for Damien Murdoch in five years' time? Yeah, I don't tend to set the big goals I, I used to. I'm sort of just um, at the stage now. Where I'm just sort of yeah, I'm just happy watching it unfold and just sort of you know opportunities come and you sort of choose from choose from them. Um, but but I I basically yeah I would like to just keep helping as many people I can in this field really and then if you know I've always had the goal with world-class friend over the five you know the last um eight years now that I've that I've had it going is to to have it as a as a place where I can bring together a lot of the experts you know from around the world to actually you know all in one hub type thing and just sort of help as many people as we can so yeah I'd, I'd like to just keep you know, putting one foot in the front of the other, and just seeing whether that, seeing whether that's where it leads to. But that's, I love um, it, mate. That happened, that'd be great, yeah. Yeah, definitely, mate. You're very present in the moment. And you're taking each day as it comes, and that's a great way to live. I love it, Damien. Thanks so much for your time today, mate. It's been incredible getting to know your journey, and and I, I think that the things that you've said will resonate with a lot of people, a lot of my listeners as well. And and I know I definitely learned a lot. So thank you so much for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you, Matt. You'll enjoy what you're doing. Excellent, mate. Thank you. And that's this week's dose of Euphoria. Connect with myself and the Euphoria Health community on Instagram or Facebook at Euphoria Health. Through these channels, you'll find cool workouts, plant-based recipes and daily challenges. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Matt Zapala, And remember, don't settle for anything less than Euphoria.